0: The best science fiction stories function as parables or allegories to teach us something about ourselves and the world that we live in, uh, to warn us about paths that we are on as a society or a culture, and that sort of thing. And one of the first science fiction films that made an impression on me years ago as just a young lad was The Omega Man, starring Charlton Heston. Now the last time I saw that film was when I was back in high school, so I'm sure I don't have all of the details quite right, but the story goes something like this. In the not-too-distant future, a terrible disease which resulted from some kind of biological warfare was infecting everyone, and everyone was dying. Scientists and doctors all over the world were working feverishly to find a cure. Before the whole human race was wiped out. Well, finally, unfortunately, there was a doctor who developed what he believed to be a cure for this awful disease, Charlton Heston. And he was on his way to let others know about it so they could begin mass producing a vaccine when his helicopter crashed. And as he's lying among the wreckage, he was able to give himself the one dose of the vaccine that he had and then get to safety. The story then picks up months later. Everyone but the doctor is now either dead or has turned into these half-dead zombie-like creatures. You always have to have zombies, right, in every one of these. These zombie-like people who will eventually succumb to the disease and die as well. Well, the doctor, he discovers, though, that by using his own blood for transfusion, he can actually reverse the effects of the the disease on those who have been infected and cure them. Well, there's a lot more to this story than that, but that's enough of the story to serve our purposes today as a parable. The world that we live in is kind of like the world of that film we're all infected with the disease which has turned us into half-dead zombie-like creatures who are dying. But there's hope for us because there's one among us who was never infected with the disease that the rest of us have, and through a blood transfusion of sorts, he can save us and make us well. So let's turn in our Bibles for the real story where the disease we are all infected with that is killing us is sin, and the doctor who can save us is Jesus Christ. We're continuing our study through the letter of Hebrews. The largest section of the letter of Hebrews ranges from Hebrews 4.14 through Hebrews 10.18, in which the author compares Jesus as a priest to the office and the role of priests of the old religious system established in the days of Moses, that's referred to as the Old Covenant. In this comparison, the author shows how much better Jesus Christ is, providing real, eternal salvation for us. Now, we looked at the introductory verses to this section last time, and we're now continuing where we left off. So we're in Hebrews chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. And it says there, it says, Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He's able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. These verses are an elaboration on some of the same stuff that we read and studied last time in Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Verse 1 states that we, the same thing that we noted last time, that the, priest represented the people before God and represented God before the people. He was the mediator between God and the people, the go between the middle person and a major part of the priest's duties was to make offerings and perform various rituals at the tabernacle that were specified under the covenant provisions. Now at this point, I want to just pause for a quick moment. Uh, and talk about the question, do we need a priest? Now, I'm not talking about a priest in a local church. That's another question for another time, perhaps. I'm talking about a priest with a capital P, who represents us before God, like being talked about here in the letter of Hebrews. The answer is a resounding yes, We need someone to represent us before God. And this question, do we need a priest, was brought to mind for me while reading some news stories that were recently published. Um, The the, the articles are about the secular church and the atheist churches that are being formed and being talked about and joined by people uh, in this article. These are gatherings of people that mimic many of the common elements found in a typical church service, but without any mention of or reference to God. One headline reads, Testimonies, sing-alongs, but nothing supernatural. They say people are gathering with the intent of, quote, leading better lives without God. A sociologist of religion who was interviewed calls these gatherings activities that enable non-religious people to express their shared beliefs and cultivate a sense of belonging and purpose. One attender said she is so much happier now that she has a group of friends who share her beliefs and who are trying to do good out in the world with her. Now obviously there are are some deep needs being expressed in these gatherings. But there's also a critical piece missing in all of this that's missing in virtually all of this kind of thing. Simply being better people is not good enough. If just trying harder to be better would cure what ills the human race, we would have fixed ourselves a long time ago. We've had centuries to work on that. But history has shown again and again that we are doomed to repeat the same destructive behaviors that have continued to plague us. Jesus, he didn't come to simply help us be better behaved people. He came to save us from our sin. Jesus came to be our priest with a capital P to represent us before God, to offer up himself as a sacrifice of atonement for our sins and to create in us a new person with a new nature. That can't be done without a supernatural power playing out in this gathering. It can't be a gathering without the supernatural and it actually change us Sadly, people will talk about the moral teachings of Jesus and how we need to live by them, and certainly so, it's true. But they turn a blind eye to what his life and death mission accomplishes for us. Well, getting back to the text of Hebrews 5 1 here, we're told two important things in these first four verses of chapter 5 about the high priest and implications that go along with them. One is the priest is chosen by God, and two, the priest is a human being. The priest is chosen by God. God is the one who created the priesthood and the one who selects those who would serve as priests. Being a priest was not something that people chose for themselves, like going to a career fair at school, scanning through the list of possible jobs, picking priest. And then attending the priest degree program at the local college. It didn't work like that. There are stories in the Old Testament about people who tried to take on the role of priest who had not been chosen by God for that role, and it always went badly for them, serving to show how important God considered these things. Quick examples. Korah and his followers in Numbers chapter 16, they sought to appoint themselves as priests rather than respecting the ones that the Lord had established. Fire came down from the sky and consumed them, leaving nothing but heaps of ash where they had been standing. And the earth opened up and swallowed all that belonged to them. Yeah. They probably should not have chosen that career path, see. King Saul in 1 Samuel 13, you might remember, he took it upon himself to offer the sacrifices which the priest Samuel was to do. And because he presumed to do what only the priest was authorized to do, the Lord removed his blessing and anointing from Saul as king. God gave the kingship to another, Daniel, I mean, uh, David. King Uzziah in 2 Chronicles 26, in his arrogance, he went into the temple to burn incense, which was something only the priests were supposed to do. Leprosy suddenly broke out on his forehead, and he lived the rest of his life alone, separated, unable to join the rest of the society. Why did God create the priesthood and choose who the priest would be? Well, as we'll see as we get further into the letter of Hebrews, all of these various things that were part of the Old Covenant, like the priesthood, they were signposts pointing to Jesus Christ, our great mega high priest, who was coming to truly rescue humanity. The stuff in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, it was kind of like a movie trailer, giving us a preview of what was coming. The one true priest, Jesus Christ, was coming to represent humanity before holy God in heaven itself and provide real salvation for us. People, they needed to understand and still need to understand in our own day that we are in such dire need that only God is capable of saving us. We don't have the ability or the means to rescue ourselves. There are none among us that are qualified to be the priests that we really need to represent us before God and can offer a sacrifice for our sin that will cleanse us forever and achieve real and lasting salvation for us. All of these self-appointed priests and people trying to do things their own way amounted to people trying to save themselves, trying to make their own way to God. None of those efforts were effective. None of them worked. None of them were adequate. They were all corrupt in some way. The same problem still exists in our day, with people still trying to come up with their own ways of reaching God and obtaining salvation. People will say things like, well, I have my own kind of relationship with God. I have my own path of spirituality that I follow. We've all heard these kinds of things. We may have even said these kinds of things ourselves at one point in our life. All of these self-made roll-your-own attempts at spirituality and salvation and connecting with God are ultimately ineffective, they're inadequate, and they're corrupt. There's only one who can do what's needed to save us, the God-man, the incarnate God, God himself in human flesh, Jesus Christ. And so the priest is chosen by God, To help us see that the Lord is the one who saves us, not ourselves. If we had been choosing our own priests and coming up with our own system, we we would be saying and he would be allowing us to communicate to ourselves and to him that we can work this out on our own and we can save ourselves. God says, no, you can't. I appreciate the effort, but the effort is not good enough. It never can be. Let me help you. The other thing that we're told in these first four verses about the high priest is that he is a human being. Now, that may seem unnecessarily obvious to say. You might be thinking, well, who else would be a priest other than a human being? Well, an animal can't be our priest. The dog, known as man's best friend because of their tremendous loyalty to us, when we need someone to talk to, our dog may seem... Like a great listener. They're always willing to accept our side of the story. They never judge us. They never question our motives. They're the one who's always standing in our corner. In some ways, we might think our dog would be a great priest for us. But in reality, The communication taking place between us and our dog is limited in spite of what our imagination likes to think. And there are some serious and obvious limitations to what our dog can do for us before God. The author of Hebrews has already made the point that an angel can't be our priest in Hebrews 1. Angels were the administrators of the old covenant given through Moses, but they were not priests. And considering what real angels are like, they would be terrifying priests. There wouldn't be many of us left after a very short time. Angels wouldn't have any patience with us and our human issues. They would just pound us into particles of dust. Our priest needs to be a human being. Why? Well, it tells us in verse 2. Because the priest is a human being, he's able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray. That word ignorant, it means lacking knowledge and understanding. Those who don't know, those who are unaware, those who are in darkness, those who are clueless, those who are spiritually blind going astray, having a propensity to wander off course, those who are wayward, those who are in error, those who sin. Well, who are these ignorant and going astray people? You and me. We're the ignorant and those prone to wandering off course who need a priest who can deal gently and compassionately with us. It reminds me of how Jesus saw people when he was living among us in Matthew 9:36 it says when he Jesus saw the crowds he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd we need our priest to be a human being but having a human being as our priest is also a problem Verse 2 and 3, it tells us he himself is subject to weakness. Talking about the human priest. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. A human priest is able to sympathize and empathize with our weaknesses and with our problems and our issues and our failings. But he has the same weaknesses that we do. He's in as much need of help as we are. He suffers from the same sins, the same shortcomings, the same character issues, the same vulnerabilities to temptations. He needs to be forgiven for his sins as much as any of the rest of us. And his capacity to love us, to forgive us, to be compassionate toward us, to be patient with us, to put up with us, it's limited because he's a human being. What's the solution? We need a priest who is a human being, but a very unique kind of human being who doesn't have the same weaknesses, shortcomings, failings, problems, sinfulness that the rest of us do. Thinking back to that science fiction story I told you earlier, we need someone who doesn't have the disease that all of the rest of us have. And I have some very good news for us. There is such a person, Jesus Christ. Let's look at the next verses. Verse 5, it says, In the same way Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, You are my son. Today I become your father. And he says in another place, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So the author, he now changes from talking about priests in general to Jesus Christ as our priest in particular. And we, we learn in the first four verses that the high priest must be chosen by God. People don't elect who the high priest is going to be as if it is a political office, nor do people appoint their self as high priest, as if it is a career choice they can make, God appointed and called a person to be high priest. And in the same way that God chose the people who would serve as priests under the old covenant, choosing Moses' brother Aaron as the very first high priest, so under the new covenant, God has appointed Jesus Christ as high priest. Now, there's three things for us to note in these verses. The first is that Jesus didn't exalt himself to be priest. He was appointed to that position by God the Father. There was no pride or arrogance involved in Jesus taking the position of high priest. He wasn't out to make a name for himself. He gave himself in service to us. He took the role of high priest for our benefit, not his. Philippians Paul writes, Who, talking about Jesus being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name. Second, Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus was not simply someone chosen from the ranks of humanity to represent the rest of us before God as priests. It wasn't like they scanned throughout all of the population and found the very best among us. He's God's own Son is most beloved and cherished in the universe. Now, as we noted last time, who do we think dad is going to be more inclined to listen to and respond to? A hired hand like Aaron of the Old Covenant or his own son, Jesus Christ? It means, too, that although Jesus was a human being, he's more than a human being. He's divine. He's the God-man. He is that unique human being that we've talked about already that we need who doesn't have the same weaknesses that the rest of us do. He doesn't have our disease, which makes him uniquely able to help us. And then third, Jesus is priest of a higher order than the priest of Aaron of the Old Covenant. Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek, it says here. Now we're going to hold off on discussing in detail what that means until we get to Hebrews chapter 7, which is devoted to all of that in a lot more detail. But for now, know that it means that Jesus is in a whole other league, from the priests of the Old Covenant. Jesus as a priest compared to Aaron as a priest is like comparing the San Francisco Giants to the Carmichael Little League team. They are at two radically different levels of ability, so much so that comparing them is kind of a joke. Verse 7. and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So the author, he now talks about how Jesus identified with us as a human being during his life on earth as a human being. Jesus didn't enter our world as someone with a position of fame or power or wealth. He didn't come as a world-famous celebrity. He didn't come as the king of a powerful nation. He didn't come with a bank account full of billions of dollars. Instead, he came as a baby, born to a young peasant woman in an animal barn, in a small backwater town, in a defeated little country. He never owned anything but the clothes on his back, and he ended up being executed like a common lowlife criminal. Jesus didn't take any shortcuts in his life as a human being. He faced suffering and pain on a level that most of us can't even imagine, being mocked and then severely beaten and finally tortured to death while hanging on a cross of crucifixion. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, crying out to God the Father on the night he would be arrested and then crucified the next day, It says he was in such agony of soul, you'll remember, that his sweat was like drops of blood. And he prayed, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, this cup of suffering. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. His submission to the will of God the Father was deeply profound especially when we consider that he knew beforehand what was going to happen to him and that he had the means and the power to escape it if he chose to. He knew it was coming. He knew what was coming. And he had the power to stop it if he had wanted to. But instead he chose to submit to all of it. It says he was, in verse 7, he was heard because of his reverent submission. His resurrection from the dead is the most powerful evidence of him being heard because of his reverent submission. And he now lives forever interceding for his people as their priest and their savior. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23, it says, now there has been many of those priests, talking about the priests of the Old Covenant like Aaron, since death prevented them from continuing in office, they needed to keep putting in a new one because they would continually die off. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he's able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Verse 8 here, it says, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation. Now, the first part of that sentence can be confusing. The author is saying, though, that Jesus didn't live a life of obedience in some kind of bubble exempt from the hardships and the difficulty and the suffering that can come along with obedience. Instead, Jesus obeyed the will of God the Father under the severest of circumstances as a human being. And that the incomprehensible level of obedience that he lived as a human showed that he is indeed the perfect and complete priest lacking nothing, able to fulfill that role for his people like no one else ever can do. He became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. First Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. Acts 4.12 Salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And in John 14.6 Jesus said about himself I'm the way and the truth and the life no one comes to the Father except through me. The invitation is given to all people and it says those who obey Jesus They are the ones who embrace him as their high priest and savior, having left their own self made attempts at spirituality and salvation, and they are now following Jesus instead. It's important to remember that we don't trust in our own obedience for salvation. We trust in our great high priest, Jesus, trusting in our own obedience. To get us into heaven is a self-made, self-reliant salvation that will not work because we will fail at that. I know every time we, we read words like these, where it says He's a source of eternal salvation for all who obey Him, and our little human brains go, oh, that means if I don't obey Him perfectly, I'm lost. Look, we're lost. Whether we obey or not, we are saved by trusting in Him. Our obedience does not save us, it cannot save us, it will not save us ever. Because our obedience is lame, it's corrupt. It falls short. None of us obey long enough, well enough to ever pull it off. And if you're living with the delusion thinking that you can, you just haven't lived long enough. Our obedience to Jesus is evidence of our faith and trust in him and the new life that he has put into into us. in closing just to summarize what we've read here this morning jesus can really save us he was a human being making him able to deal gently and compassionately with our ignorance and waywardness with our weakness with our sin Although human, He was not beset, though, with our weaknesses because He is the incarnate God, the Son, who is without sin. He is that unique one and only incarnate human without sin. He's a priest of a higher order than any other priests who have ever lived. Even though he's the son of God, he didn't take any shortcuts as a human being. He faced a difficult life full of suffering and pain, even willingly laying his life down for us in order to save us and give us a new life. He's the perfect priest for us and the source of eternal salvation for us. Is he your priest? If not yet, make him so today. And it can be done simply to say, Jesus, I want you to be my priest. I want you to represent me before God I wanna trust in your righteousness in your obedience to the Father. Forgive me. I'm gonna follow and trust in you. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, being our high priest, representing us before you Lord, help us to trust in our high priest. Help us to rely on him. And Lord, may we walk in obedience to you as evidence of the good work you're doing in us and of the new life that's growing in us. Lord, make that so. May Jesus Christ be glorified in our lives. In his name we pray these things. Amen.